Lazandra C. Randolph. My company's name is the Law Offices of Lazandra C. Randolph, PA. I also have a beauty supply store, Kalan Charisma Hair and Beauty, and a nonprofit, the LCR Project. This, this, is, this is Diversified Game Game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen. And today on Diversified Game, you guys are in for a real treat. I have an attorney and I don't think she'd be offended if I called her a rattler because she <laughs> went to FAMU. And so, you know, HBCU fam, you know, we, we, okay. we love it. We love it. We love it. Um, more of you need to go check out a HBCU. You might finish uh, and you will find friends lifetime and business associates lifetime. But Dr. Randolph is going to give us the game, a.k.a. Uh, let's just read reclaim a name and say, hey, Dr. Z, because Dr. Z? Are my, yeah, Dr. Z. Um, I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she's going to give us the game on how she, you know, started uh, from going from a student, of course, to a teacher, to now owning her own law firm. And congratulations on hiring as well. So you have a new member over there. So w- welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. I am doing well. How are you? blessed by the best. I cannot complain. Tell the people, because, you know, some people watch like Law and Order or they'll watch a show on HBO and say, hey, I want to become a lawyer because I want to make all the money that I see them make. But, you know, you you know, some lawyers who are making $25,000 a year and maybe below. Can you give us the game on how you got here, you know, and, and what it took to get to this stage of entrepreneurship? And we'll touch on your other business as well. Right. Well, I had a very long journey. Uh, I knew from the age of eight that I wanted to be an attorney. And I always tell people when you know, you know, and when you know, you speak things into existence. So from the age of eight, I'm going to be an attorney. I'm going anytime anybody asks me, what are you going to be? It was an attorney. So I moved on up middle school, high school. I gained some other interests in high school. And one of those interests was being um, a VJ, right? I want to be on the radio. And when I uh, went to FAMU, I majored in broadcast journalism, believe it or not. And didn't change my goal of being an attorney. It's just that I had interest in other things, which I think is okay to, you know, see what other interests you have and see where it takes you. So I remember my my freshman year and uh, we went to a colloquium, right? That's a class where you don't get credit for, but you have to attend, right? Mm-hmm. And they tell you kind of how the uh, journalism world works. So we had someone come and speak and they said, well, you know, journalism is very hard to get into. And when you graduate, you're probably going to be making about $25,000 a year. So I sat there and I said, pump the brakes, (laughs) pump the brakes. Um, I'm not going to school for four years to make $25,000. I'm just not doing that. So I made a beeline to my counselor and we sat down and we talked about my goals, right? So of course, my ultimate goal being an attorney. But what do you want to do short-term goal? Well, I definitely want to make money when I graduate school. So that was one of the short-term goals. 
So we said and said, okay, why don't you major in English education? Because you love helping people from what I understand. You want to make some money because back then teaching was lucrative, right? And it wasn't a big headache back then. Um, and you can actually teach students and, and really be able to impact someone's life. And so I said, oh, that I think I can do that. English ed, because I, I major in English. It teaches how to write, critical thinking, what attorneys do all day long, right? So I said, yeah, let's do it. So I majored in English education, graduated school, and I became a high school English teacher after graduation. So um, I was able to make money. I mean, when they hired me, I got a, a bonus for even coming to the school. I'm like, oh, oh, this is this is money right here. You know, being 23 years old, 24 years old, and I had always worked, right? But when you're talking about $5,000 bonuses in your hand just right away, and then you're making a good salary, um, it was very lucrative. But at the same time, um, it was very rewarding because as a young person still in my 20s, I taught high school, which was, you know, seniors, they were, we were very close in age, but I was able to make an impact on their lives. So that was the rewarding part. And I grow to love um, teaching and, and pouring into others. So I did that for a while. And then the education game changed, right? That's when they had testing um, that you know, based on your pay was based on students passing tests and you were teaching to a test. And it was, it was like, okay, I'm not really teaching anymore, right? I'm just teaching to a test and I'm not really making the impact that I once made when I first started teaching. So I said, hmm, I think it's time for me to go to law school. And uh, that's exactly what I did. I applied to law school and you know i was supposed to i'm from the midwest from indiana and so when um i graduated i was supposed to actually move back home so i applied to some schools in the midwest for law school and then um famu gained back its accreditation and i applied to famu so it was only right that i attended famu right so i got accepted into law school and i still taught i taught um in the day and I went to school in the evening, so it took me four years to finish, um, but I was still able to make an impact on lives while, while you know, going to school. Finally graduated law school and um, still in education. But when I got that JD, that degree, you know, um, my job was like, well, you have a higher ed degree or a higher you know, ed degree. Why don't you um, become a, a director at our program? And I'm like, oh, you mean I don't have to teach anymore? I don't have to be in the classroom anymore? Okay, you know, I can still impact, let's do it. So I got promoted to become a director. Now I'm making more money than I've ever made, right? And I'm enjoying this thing. I'm like, whew, this is great. And um, maybe a year after I became a director, they proposed, why don't you become executive director? So they moved me to another county where I ran the entire entire county there at this alternative school, right? And at this time, I'm like, oh, more money, right? And and still being able to make an impact because, you know, alternative ed, those you know students really really need it because they're they're coming back in, 
trying to get their high school diploma. So they need some extra attention and a push and some stern, firm, you know, discipline along with it. And um, I brought it to the table and I was able to help them. Unfortunately, you know, the higher that you move up, you start to learn politics, right? Of the, the politics and atmosphere of your company. Because before you're like, okay, I'm just working. I'm not really dealing day to day with certain things with management. But then you really start to learn um, management and learn the character really of the company that you're working for. So I was sent to the county that I worked in to save our school because they had, they gave us a warning. They're like, listen, you're not doing well. We're going to pull the plug on your program if you don't come and, you know, shape up. So they sent me to the county to save our school. And so I'm sitting in all these county meetings. I'm, I'm doing exactly what the county wants me to do. And then here comes my, my boss, the owner of the company. And he's like, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do this. And I'm like, but the county says I have to do this. No, I don't want you to do that. So we started to bump heads because number one, you sent me here to save the county, the, the school. I'm doing what the county is requiring. And now you want me to go against that. So not only are you threatening um, the, I think the students' education, right? Because you're, you're wanting things to happen. You want more students in the classroom than teachers. You don't really care. And I'm starting to really feel a pool that you, do, you really don't care about our students. It's really about the number and the dollar. And I wasn't having it. And I pushed back. I pushed back a lot on things they wanted me to do. And they didn't like that. They didn't like it at all, that I would push back, that I was trying to do what's right by the students. I also do what's right by the county. And I also had a reputation, right? I'm in education, you know, and um, if I ever want to work somewhere else or work in the company, I have a reputation. I have to do what's right. So I gave pushback. And since I gave pushback, they demoted me. They demoted me back to director at first and moved me back to Orange County. And I was like, oh, well, as long as I keep my same pay, you know, it's fine. But then they had a plan all the time to fire me. And that's exactly what they did one summer. And they fired me. But in that, God had a plan the whole time. Because God's like, I didn't send you to law school for you to be in education, right, this whole time. I didn't birth that in you for you to kind of not walk in the purpose and path that I've created for you, what you've spoken into fruition the whole time. So I knew it was God's plan, but it was scary. Um, I only had an education background. And uh, so I started filling out uh, resumes and sitting in resumes. And guess what? Nobody would hire me. Nobody would hire me. And um, I'm like, Lord, I'm about to get put out of my house. <laughs> You know, collecting unemployment, that type of thing, um, but still pressing on. So I decided at that time, I said, I have to do something. And that's how the law offices of Lazandra C. Randolph, PA, was birthed at that time. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It, it was birthed in the struggle. Tell okay, so anybody out there, she saw the warning signs that you know you're difficult. You're always difficult as an employee when you have new ideas or you want to make change, especially with you know youth. Um, your whole thing is you know you you practice family law and even you know your nonprofit. It's all about helping people. How much of that stems from losing your father at an early age and seeing 
what he kind of left behind. You know, I read your story, how your, your brother and his mother and your mother were pregnant at the same time. It's right. a very common story, especially right. in our community, right? We can't have polygamy, but it's okay if oh boy goes down the street around oh, the yeah. corner, but nobody wants to talk about what we're originally from of the, you know, polygamous nature. Don't have to go on a soapbox about that right. and say that, you know, but the, 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 how much impact was that and seeing that? And now it's like, I want to keep helping people because I want to ease their pain. I didn't realize it from the very beginning. It didn't click. Right. So after I started practicing, I only really knew how to do family law because that's what I did in, in college through a legal clinic. So I knew, okay, I had to do family law because this is what I know how to do. So I started getting into the family law arena, started, you know, hearing the stories, started helping clients. And then, you know, eventually it clicked. I started hearing the same stories and I started hearing, you know, mothers wanting to keep their children away from fathers because they were no longer together or because somebody else was pregnant, you know, at the same time. Um, or even fathers saying, you know, we're not together, so I, I don't, you know, I, I kind of want to be a part of the child's life, or but I don't want to be on child support, and I don't think it's fair, you know, so I started hearing from both sides of the coin regarding this family aspect of, you know, having fathers in the home, or how do you co-parent without being in the home, and it is set with me, and I said, this is my story, you know, I you have to be able to relate to people. And that's one of the things that I find so funny is that a lot of times clients will come into my office and they'll tell their story and they'll say, well, you, you know, you don't understand. And I say, how do you know I don't understand? You know, do, do you know my story? No, yeah. I don't understand. But, I, you know, because they think that, you know, as an attorney, we're so poised and, you know, we got it all together and we've never had any issues. It's like, please. Like, you know, if anything, we have more issues than, than most because we have to be able to relate to our clients. And so I sit there and I tell them my story and, you know, my, my father um, being killed when I was eight years old. But one of the things that my mother never did, even though my brother, like I said, my, my um, brother's mom was pregnant at the same time. My mother never kept me from my father as much as hurt and pain that she had to go through. Um, I'm sure as she's told me several times, wanted to fight, <laughs> you know, um, she never kept me from my father. And the same thing with my brother's mom. She, she welcomed me with open arms. I remember traveling when my brother moved to Atlanta for a very short time, riding in my dad's shorty boy, brown caddy, you know, going to Atlanta, going to see my brother. My mother didn't have an issue with it. And when I got to Atlanta with my brother's mom, she treated me as if I was her own child. So they never show um, drama and disdain, not in front of us, right? And my dad loved both of us the same. Although my brother and I had two different lifestyles because of our mothers. My, my, brother, mother, my brother's mother was mainly you know, on drugs and things like that. And so he had to go live with my grandmother for a while, which is my dad's mom. And my mother was the exact opposite. My mother was climbing in a career. She actually graduated college when I graduated high school. So it was a different type of home environment. And as much as we tried to be an influence, it was just a little different home environment. But my mother, 
you know, my father loved us both the same. And ironically, my father knew the difference in our backgrounds. And my father always told me, take care of your brother. Take care of your brother. Mm. And I grew up bullying my brother. Because <laughs> um, even though we're the same age, you know, I'm a month and a week older than he is. And I was actually a little bit taller than he was as a kid. And then, you know, I because I took what my father said very seriously, you know, take care of your brother. I protected him. Anytime somebody messed up, I, I protected him. And, you know, that stemmed from the relationship that we had as kids, the relationship that our parents did not deprive us of, right? That I was able to protect my brother. And then once he grew up and he shot up, now he's like six, seven and, you know, middle school, he shot up and I would look at him. And I was like, yep, can't bully you anymore. And I kind of stopped. Um, <laughs> but even to this day, you know, we have a very loving relationship. We talk and, you know, I don't have children, but he has children and my nieces and nephews. And, you know, I take care of them. I love them. And as a matter of fact, my oldest niece is getting ready to graduate and go to the Florida A&M University, <laughs> like her aunt. Um, and so my point is, that you don't know the decisions, right? The decisions that you make today will ultimately affect not only your life, but the lives of others in the future. So just think if my father would have kept me from, you know, my, my, my mother, I mean, my mother would have kept me from my father. My father didn't really, um, wasn't really around because of what happened. I wouldn't have had the relationship with my brother. I wouldn't have had a relationship with my nieces and nephews. Who knows what school my, my niece would have went to? Who? That's even scary. Think about it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but also in the in my career, you know, me being able to tell my story and, and there's pain, right? You know, my father being killed when I was a kid, that, that's, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm healed and I'm whole now. But at the time, we don't realize what, um, why things happen. And now I'm, I'm, I'm saying, there's good that even came out of that, which I'm able to help somebody else's life in my practice of law. So I'm able to tell this story to my, my uh, clients and I'm able to kind of get them to see a different perspective in their, um, you know, in their families and hopefully bring them together where they can co-parent without drama. Let, let me, let me go back in because you deal with so much, you know, uh, many families in different aspects. And I've worked with, you know, families from group homes to psych wards to uh, working uh, for CPS. What if, you know, what if like certain cultures, you know, people always think of the Mormons, but there's so many other cultures. If families actually work together and those two households were able to be put together. It, when you see this now in today's selfish times, do you think, you know, for us as a community, we would be better if we could, if you're going to have children, we're going to combine, we're going to be under one roof, we're going to work as a business, kind of like China, or, you know, folks in Senegal, Nangadef to everybody in Senegal. Right. Um, like, what do you think? Could it happen? Should it happen? Or is that just in a total like fantasy world? I have not witnessed where families resided together, so to speak. But let me give you an example. My brother, my brother has three different, I don't want to call them baby mamas, but that's what they are, right? That's what they are. That's what they are. <laughs> but yeah. 
Um, and so the oldest two is with one lady. The, the he has two middle, right, with another, and then his another with his wife because he's married now, but with his wife. And then um, he went back at, at some point with his wife, and and they had an issue with the second set of, of their mother and had a, a younger son, right? But the funny thing about that family is they all talk to each other. All the women talk to each other. They call each other before they call my brother about stuff. You know, oh, this is going on with the kids. They call, you know, one call the other, the other call the other, and they go over each other's houses. They spend a night. I mean, it's they don't live in the same household, but they all communicate very well. It took a while to get there, right? It wasn't always like that. But I think after everybody decided, because it takes inner work, right? Um, and it takes your own personal responsibility. So I think, I thank God that all of them decided to heal in that regard, where they could work together and not fight each other on things. So I, you know, I'm looking at their relationships and I'm like, I need to get some of my clients to talk to y'all about, <laughs> you know, how this all works. But it is possible because there are, I know families that take trips together. You know, they're not together, um, so to speak, but they take trips with a new wife. So the, the child's mother and the new wife and the husband and the other kids, they all go on family trips together. They all do events together. So it is possible that we could get along. It just takes a lot of inner healing and getting over because it is what it is. I mean, unfortunately, that's the kind of world we live in. But, you know, when things happen, we have to learn how to heal and we have to learn how to heal ourselves. We can't depend on people to heal us. We have to really sit down and do some inner healing. And I think once we do that inner healing, then we could show our children that it is possible to, to co-parent and live in that type, type of environment. And I can hear somebody, um, somebody who watches too much of the manosphere at 11 at night, who's who, who, who is very single as a man. I can hear him right now. Well, that's why the women got to get on board. No, it starts with you, captain of your ship. Right. You got to get on board and be honest on how you want to live your life and tell somebody this is what I plan on doing. And you can follow it or tira la puerta. You can hit the door. But, you know, that's that's the game on that. Let's get into you as an entrepreneur. You mentioned a business I was not aware that you you had. So I want to talk, you know, every lawyer wants to either be an author or a business owner. Um, how did you get into, you know, retail? If, if it is retail, maybe it's all online for all I know. Give us the game on that. It is retail. Um, so even, you know, I, I've always had this entrepreneurial mindset, right? Even though I, you know, didn't want to jump into it so fast as an attorney, but I'm here now, right? So, you know, I, it's open game, right? Um, so a, a friend of mine, we were very, very close. We're very, very close. We became friends in like 2009, I would say. And we've been really, really close. And um, we went on a trip. We were getting ready to go on a trip. And um, this was back in 2018. And so we were saying, oh, let's get ready to go on this trip. You know, we're, we're planning on, you know, getting these bundles so I can 
come out the water and you know how they do in all these videos and cameras you know glistening and water and hair still wavy and my face still beat you know and, and looking all uh glorious and i sat and we, we actually purchased stuff and i i sat and i said you know how much money we just spent on beauty supply products um and and really supporting other cultures and when we are the number one consumers um, of these products. And I said, something, we have to do something. We we have to do something. We are working women. Um, my, my friend, she's a mom, you know, so she's a working mom. And this is actually her first business. And um, of course, I kind of nudged her a little bit, like, hey, let's let's do this together. And as as friends would do, trusting my crazy ideas. Um, right. And I said, why don't we go ahead and, you know, sell our own, our own hair. We, we, you know, sell our own hair, our own bundles and, and wigs and things. And so we just started off very small and, um, we, we didn't really at, in the onset, we hadn't planned on doing a full fledged beauty supply store. We had just purchased bundles and we were, just, you know, selling them, trying to see how it, it, um, how it went. And then of course me again with my out of the box, crazy ideas. I think we should do a full fledged beauty supply store. And my friends like, you crazy, but okay. <laughs> and uh, so, 2018, we started our um, our hair our hair company, Kalan Charisma Hair and Beauty. But then it was kind of you know I got into it my career. It was busy, um, business was picking up, and I was just like, ooh, this is a lot to do at one time, you know. And she was busy at her job because, you know, she has a full time job. So it was kind of steady and we had not done anything with it. We just kind of sat on it and sat on it and we had but we spent money. Right. We, we invested in it. So she and I really had to have a come to Jesus talk with each other and say, listen, either we're going to do this thing or we're not. And when we make the decision, we're going to do it. We did it. And in November of last year, 2021, we had our grand opening for Kalan Charisma Hair and Beauty, a full service beauty supply store. And that's how that came about. And um, we're, we're so excited and we want to, you know, make sure that the community knows we're here because, and, and, and I, I, I hate to say this, but sometimes when you patronize those other beauty supply stores, they don't really respect you. They can care less about you. And we know that because now when I told you when you're in a different side of things, when you're in the management and us really having to deal with the suppliers, they don't want to see black people, period, in their space. They don't want to see black people in the beauty industry at all. And they'll try to sabotage it. I mean, they'll do anything from saying that your minimum order quantity is $20,000. And you're like, really? Like, I'm not going to spend $20,000 on just hairspray. Like, you are being ridiculous right now. But they do those things to deter us from entering into their space. And, um, and if you know that, you know that that means as your Black dollar, they don't really care about you. They just care about your Black dollar. They don't want to see you in their space succeeding doing what they're doing they just want your money and they don't care whereas 
we get it. You know, we get how we're treated. We want you to come to our store and be treated with respect because we have the same backgrounds. We have the same struggles. We know what it's like to be disrespected in other spaces. So, you know, we try to provide respect and and good customer service. And we try to dispel the rumors that black people can't don't have good customer service or, you know, black companies don't. That's 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 a lie. We do have good customer service. It's it's really up to the individual owners to do that. But, you know, I don't like when people try to throw away all black businesses because they say that we don't operate well. And, and you know, people don't understand struggle either when you're a black business trying to operate. Right. People don't understand what we got to go through dealing with suppliers that don't look like us. So while you're thinking, oh, you know, your products are too high. Well, they're high, number one, because we, we have to kick our way into this game. Right. They don't offer us the same deals and we're not huge yet to where we can get the very big discount. So we have to start somewhere. So our consumers have to understand we're not hijacking prices because we're trying to break you or we're trying to get in your pockets. Our prices are what they are because we're trying to kick in the game in the in the door to get in this game. And when we're there, then we reach back, then we can lower our prices. But it takes for our consumers to um, help us do that. Because if, if our consumers don't help us, they're always going to have a lock on this. So it's a team effort. And people don't realize that the more and more you patronize, the more and more we grow, the more and more we can, we can reduce our prices, the more and more we can have a beauty supply store on this corner, a beauty supply store on that corner, like everybody else does. And 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 that's where we need to be. And that's our goal. You know, Our goal, we're, we're, we're not just satisfied with being retailers. We, we're going to kick this door in and we're going to provide opportunities for other um, business owners to get in the game. Wait and see. <laughs> Man, and if you guys, you know, have a, such a high problem with the price of the products, maybe, just maybe, you need to switch up your hairstyle because, you know, some of y'all are doing more in your hair than you're doing in your index funds. But you, you come here for real game like, and I don't... I can't, yeah, I, well, I can't be canceled, but I let our people know. I see us looking real good on Instagram. I want to see you at 50, 60 and see if you're still working at Walmart saying, hello, um, I'm here to greet you. Right. Because if you're doing that, you know, there's maybe a rare occasion that somebody just wants to get out the house as a senior citizen. But if you're working a job that a teenager could work, it probably shows somewhere in life something went wrong. And it might be that you didn't have good planning. And I say it like that. The doc didn't say that. Dr. Z didn't say that. Kellen said that because you guys aren't going to, you know, half of y'all can't afford my, my retainer anyway. But uh -huh. I can say what I need to say to help you so you're not begging for money, crying, whether you're in America or Africa. Now, that's a conversation for a different day, but I'm going to leave that one alone. Can you tell the people... What are some of the things that they can do? The 14-year-old right now, they say, I want to be a lawyer, but I'm not the best student. What? Can, I don't have all the money. Nobody's supporting me. They don't get the Chloe programs, which because I was a piss poor student until I got to college, I didn't know about Chloe or anything, but I learned, right? Because I don't do good on standardized tests because I found out three years ago I'm a dyslexic, superpowers. But, you know, right how what do they need to be doing what do they need to be studying because a lot of times you don't get the game until it's like you're in college and you're like 
Nobody told me this. Right. Um, and, and, you know, we have to, as a community, stop. I'm going to put this out there. Stop trying to make our kids learn the hard way. I don't know what this thing is about, you know, let them get out there and make mistakes and do. I mean, yes, people are going to make mistakes, but there are some mistakes that are avoidable if you just teach, if you just teach. Right. Um, and so we have to we have to as uh, business owners, people who have made it be mentors. So that's my first thing to say. Get a mentor, um, somebody who is where you want to be. I don't mean somebody who's, you know, it's OK to have mentors that may be a little bit older than you. But, but no, where, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? That's who you need to go talk to. If that person turns you down, go talk to somebody else. That person turns you down. Talks, there's somebody that will help you. It may not be the first person you ask. It may not be the second person you ask. But you have to be resilient. You have to be determined to say, I know that I need a mentor. And I'm going to find somebody to mentor me. Um, that's the first step. But as you're doing that and finding the mentor, then you you study. You 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 study your what you want to do and what you want to be. What does it take to get there? Right? All this you we have to get rid of distractions as as youth. We have so many distractions. We have Facebook, you know, we have friends, we have, I mean, there's so many distractions nowadays. And we had on our, you know, in our day, but not as much as they have them now. Um, so I think that our youth will have to be um, dedicated to what they want to do and not be distracted. Sometimes you have to say no to going to the mall with your friends to sit down and say, let me search the, search the internet, not on Facebook, but what, what steps does it take to, you know, get to be an attorney? You know, what do I need? Do, do I have to be good in this? Do I have to be good in that? What, what schools are best? Um, for what law schools are best? What undergrad schools are best? So sometimes it just takes discipline from our youth to be able to sit and, you know, do away with the distractions, but focus on what, what is my end goal and whatever does not fit in with my end goal, that, that could be put on the back burner. Now you may, you know, make some time with your friends. You've got to be social. You've got to learn how to talk to people and communicate. Those are social skills, but there's a limit to being social as well. You know, but getting that mentor, that's the first thing that I would say that they need to do is get a mentor. And in the meantime, research what it is they want to do. And they may not know what it is they want to do. And that's perfectly fine. But that's why you get mentors. Right. That's why you go and say, OK, maybe I don't, let me let me ask this dentist to see if, you know, one day they'll let me sit in the dental office and see how that works. Or maybe I want to be a librarian. Let me go to the library and see if I really want to sit and, you know, watch people, you know, check out books or, you know, do I want to be a veterinarian? Well, I don't because I don't like dogs. I don't like, you know, so no, I, I won't do that. Sometimes you just have to, to put yourself in certain spaces to experience that, to figure out what it is that you want to do. And when she says, you know, you said it, when you said it, I, I, I said, like some of the sports you guys choose. I, I, I played football all the way up to, to college. I, I get it until they told me my grades aren't good enough. I got to sit down because mm -hmm. your grades are pissed for. How'd they let you in with a 1.9? But that cheerleading, that dance, all that stuff that is, 
you know, it, it means nothing when you're an adult. And it's the reason why a lot of us are on services because right. we put so much into the entertainment, so much into the let's have fun and not mm-hmm. focusing on where the funds, how are we going to take care of mama when she's sick right. or big mama? So, can, you know, you, you focus a lot and you have a nonprofit. Can you tell people your community give back um, that you're doing or one that you would like to do in the future? So I have uh, the LCR, LCR project. It stands for Love, Compassion, and Resolve. And that was birthed back in late 2013, 2014 is when I did my first program. So my first program was Rekindling the Flame. And that's a dinner date night for couples who reside at the shelter. Because again, I'm big on family. Anybody know me? I, I, I'm big, big on family. And I'm big on keeping families together, keeping families coherent. I'm, I'm big on that. And so that was my heart is to take these parents out on a dinner date night to get them away from the hustle and bustle of the work and shelter and just to get them to refresh. Right. And to renew themselves. And they love it. I mean, my heart was full every time we did that program. So that was our first program. Our second program uh, that we started was Holiday Slay. Holiday Slay is a program where I collect household items and furniture throughout the year I keep them in a storage unit to donate to underserved families around Christmas time. Uh, So we just choose several families in one particular neighborhood, the families that are most in need of household items, and we donate those items. And I I tell you, you know, we decided we weren't going to do clothes. We don't do toys. We don't do food because there are a lot of organizations that do that. Right. And our families can go from organization to organization, collecting food, collecting toys. You know, I've seen it. Right. I've seen the same family go from, you know, this organization, this organization got a bunch of food. But what good does it do to have a bunch of food? When you have one pan to cook it. In? <laughs> right. Doesn't make yeah. sense. You're going to be cooking all night. So, you know, it's one of those things where we we tapped into the real need. You know, you, you, you got toys, but you're sleeping on the floor. You know, you got six kids sleeping in one bed that, you know, that, that to me is a real need that we, that needs to be addressed. And so we focus on that. We, we've been doing it for eight years now and we focus on that heavily. And last program that I've done was a civic education program um, where we taught middle and high school students civic education because they don't teach it in school anymore. And we, we have to, um, cultivate our next leaders because whew, the the politics game looking kind of real <laughs> slim. <laughs> um, so we we have to be able to create our um, our our next generation of leaders, and and that's what we're focused on. So I don't know if you see the theme. You know the theme in, in everything that I do from um, mentoring because I do a lot of mentoring. You know my my the uh, attorney that I hired she was with me since she was an intern and I've cultivated her now she's an attorney she's you know she's been practicing now for a whole year we're like oh this went by fast you know but I, I I look back and I see there's a theme in everything that I've done in my life you know whether it was teaching pouring into students mentoring them even with you know the intern that I had as an adult I'm not in the classroom anymore but I still mentor and I cultivate individuals who are trying to get into the legal space and, and, you know, whether it's a legal assistant, I'm still teaching you how to do that. Um, even in the beauty supply store realm, teaching my, my partner business, 
you know, and we're also still learning the whole industry, but, you know, still being able to pour into her and, and, and help provide opportunities for her. It's all about helping people. And I, and I, I pray and I hope that people get that helping people is what has to happen once you make it right. You have to reach down and you have to help somebody else. That is your responsibility. That is the reward for you doing what you're supposed to do for you making it. You are responsible for helping other people to get where you are. You know, don't worry about um, other people passing you by. I always tell my, you know, people that I mentor, I want you to be better than I am. Right. That's the goal. I'm not concerned because my gift always will make room for me. If, if this is my purpose and something that God has called me to do. I don't worry about what when I'm going to eat tomorrow or what's going to happen. No, my purpose is to help people and to cultivate people and to make sure that um, I'd be a good light to, to those. And I just want to touch on, on one thing, going back to the whole broadcast journalism and wanting to be on the radio. So I was also on a Christian um, a show for a, quite some time. And I also, I, to this day now, I have a tidbit on 106.3 FM in Daytona on Friday. So I'm on the radio. So even what I wanted to do back then, you know, I'm still doing now. Um, So everything comes back in full circle. You know, my thing is trust the process. Um, Nothing that you do is is by mistake. Even if you're thinking, why am I here? Why am I doing this? You know, like I said, I never, my, my dream was never to be a teacher, you know, but it fit into what my plan, what God's plan for me was. My dream was really to never have a nonprofit because, you know, I never, no one really introduced me at a young age to the nonprofit world, right? That came about because of my gift of helping. So sometimes we got to trust the process and trust that whatever our gifts and talents are, whatever our purpose is, as long as we keep trusting the God, as long as we keep, you know, trusting ourselves, it, it will happen. And, and, and let me say, because I have to say this, nothing in life is easy. Nothing. You know, um, sometimes we want to take the easy way out. Sometimes we're afraid to take a leap of, of faith in certain things. And I can tell you, everything that I've done has been a leap of faith. I didn't, I didn't know, you know, law. I didn't know how to run a business when I started. You know, that was a leap of faith. I didn't know how to run around a nonprofit when I started. Definitely nothing about a beauty supply store when I started, you know. Everything has been a leap of faith. It's been a journey. It's been a learning lesson. And it also requires patience, right? Yes, I have an end goal and I believe that I will get there. But sometimes we want to skip the process. But the, the process is what teaches us. The process is what makes us resilient. The process is what, um, you know, pushes us to the next level of where we need to be. So don't be afraid of the process. Don't be afraid of taking risks. You know. Don't be afraid. Yes, you're going to be frustrated. You know, there are times in my, you know, when I started in my firm, I cried. I'm like, God, what is this? You know, I'm, I'm a whole attorney out here. I'm about to get put out of my house. Like, <laughs> you know, what, what's happening? You know, there are times when I, I, you know, challenges come. But you know what? You just got to face those challenges head on because you're going to be challenged every day in your life. Kind of like telling what you said about working at Walmart. You're going to be challenged at Walmart even. You know, you, you know, you're not, you can't run from challenges. That's just what it is. And so what would you rather do? Would you rather, you know, 
face a challenge in something that you're going to prosper in and your purpose? Or do you want to face a challenge in something that, you know, is beneath what you're supposed to be doing and beneath your purpose? Choose your challenge. I would rather challenge, you know, take the challenge of doing something that's going to push me and grow me versus, you know, settling for things that are not tied to my purpose. Real talk. You, you said something. But first, I want to say, because I've never seen it. Um, the date nights for couples and shelters, just because, you know, doing that and, and helping folks. And if they have kids like that's hard, whether you have money or not, because we've been on both sides where you don't have money for the babysitter. But, you know, you want to go on a date night. And even before kids, you should be allowed to go on a date night, even if it's walking around a pond. I'm thinking about a date. We really just walked around the pond, the lake. Right. That's a date. But to get out of your own head. So kudos congratulations claps for that thank you but you also talk about how oh, what was it kellen don't lose that thought i lost the thought it was it, it was so it was so good what you had said all of it is good what she said you guys rewind it like i'm gonna have to rewind it because as you see it's the steps that she's taken she believed in herself she believed in something bigger than her and she's been she's been able to, you know, just make this happen. And I'm kicking myself because when I rewind this, I'm going to say, that's what I wanted to ask. You. I'm going to bother you about it probably later. Um, be, be, because, oh, well, tell the people this to create the business, the law firm or the beauty supply. Many people think that, you know, you need a million dollars or even a hundred thousand dollars to do that. Um, can you tell them? just some tips on if you want to start a business the money sometimes the last thing you need it's the idea and putting in the work but can you tell them maybe some tips tricks some lawyer hacks to help them you know get on to that next level well when i first started practicing right i did not have a law office i didn't have a a building or i didn't have you know any of that and so i i kept my overhead low so i i and, and don't don't despise small beginnings. So when I started practicing, one of my friends came to me and said, hey, Z, I have a, an opportunity for you. And I said, what is it? He's like, you know, I want you to, to, to take on some pro bono cases for us. You'll get a small stipend, um, but, you know, you'll take on these cases. And I'm like, OK, because I wasn't working, right? <laughs> I wasn't doing really nothing. And, um, and, and I said, OK, you know, whatever you want me to do to help, I'll, I'll help. And from taking those pro bono cases, I actually started learning how to practice law, right? I got a small stipend, enough to pay my, my car note, enough to pay, you know, uh, my, my rent, enough to pay whatever I needed to pay at the time. And uh, it wasn't a lot, but it was enough. And so I was able to build my reputation and build my clientele. And I did that for two years to a place where I said, okay, I can no longer do the pro bono stuff anymore because my firm was really, really growing, right? I was, I didn't have a whole lot of time. So I say it to say, you know, don't despise small beginnings. If you have to start off small with offering a service, because offering a service, you don't need overhead to offer a service, right? Um, I didn't have my own office. I used the law school's office <laughs> to bring in clients, right? You may have, you know, a mentor, a friend or something, you know, whatever you decide to do, you just got to think, how can I make it work right now? Because too many times people want to go out and, and get an office 
and spend a thousand dollars on the office. He's like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, and it took me a while. I started up the law school. I wasn't paying anything. Then I grew and then I rented actually a, a, um, a room in an office for $200 a month, 200, 400, one of those. Right. And then I, I worked there. And then after a while, I ended up getting my own office, you know, and having to pay rent overhead. But I grew to that point. I didn't jump out there trying to spend all this money trying to open up an office. I didn't do that. So with what what you have, you have to sit down and figure out, OK, I don't have money, but I have a talent. I have a service. And if you at least offer the service, that service then puts money in your pocket without overhead. you like, oh. I don't have to pay for an office. No, just offer the service and, you know, provide that that money keeps coming in and you keep marketing yourself. That word of mouth is I'm telling you the best um, form of referrals that you would have. Do do whatever you're going to do. Do it well. Whatever service you're going to provide, provide that service well. Right. Um, even if it's, let's say, for the beauty, the beauty supply store, for an example, you know, we didn't start off with a whole store. We started off with a few bundles, you know, hmm. you may have to say, OK, how much would it take just very, you know, for it to buy a few bundles and then boom, buy your few bundles. You're going to double your price. Don't spend your money. That's the thing. Don't spend the money that you make. Reinvest in your business. Whatever you get, whatever money you get, you have to reinvest in yourself. Um. And, you know, it may be tempting to touch it. Oh, you know, now I could go and buy a new car. Now I could, but let me tell you something. I had my 2008 Acura TSX up until last year. My car was paid off. And I was like, I am not going out to buy another car <laughs> when I have other things I can invest in. And I drove that car until it got embarrassing. You know, it started kind of not starting, but wasn't really wrong with it. But think about it, an attorney and a court, you know, in the parking lot, your car don't start. And I was like, yeah. And my pastor was like, it's time for you to get your car. I'm like, okay. So I, I finally went and bought a car. I want to say end of 2020, but I, you know, I didn't go and I didn't splurge on, you know, a car, a new car. When I started making money, I didn't do that. You know, the only thing I can say that I spend money on, honestly, realistically, I do spend a lot of money on our trips. And I do that because I of mental health, right? With with the things that we do, day to day basis, tip for tap families, it, it it can take a toll on you mentally. The back and forth, so you have to have an outlet. Whether that outlet is church, trips, friends, family, you know, those are my outlets. And I, I spend money at my church because I believe in tithes and offering. And and you know, I I do that because it, I, I I've, I've witnessed it. I'm a, a witness of tithing protects my money, right? I've, I've never failed. I've never went broke, any of that, but also offering and giving my seed, I've seen an abundance. So that's my discipline. I, I go to my church. I take my trips with my friends and I spend time with my family. And for me, you know, that's my outlet. what I need, but everything else, I invest in courses, you know, for myself. I invest in programs. I invest in, you know, my, my associate. I invest in my friends' businesses because I know that, you know, investing in other people, invest in yourself. Don't go out and spur to spend the first, you know, couple of coins you get. Invest in yourself. Okay. And I remember what I wanted to, you to um, teach me uh, because you said they're not teaching civic education in schools anymore. My kids homeschool. They're with the teacher right now, virtually. They're not teaching 
politics and how, you know, how the a bill is passed. I don't want to sing the song Conjunction Junction because she she's not old enough. Dr. Z not old enough to remember that. But, you <laughs> oh. know, <laughs> but like, I, like, is that that when was that taken out? Because there's like four parts of like civic education, if I remember correctly. I can't even remember, but it's been a very, very, very long time, right? Um, even when we did the course, so our the, the program is called Task Force, and FORCE stands for Fostering Our Responsibility in Civic Education. And um, when we did the program, it was over, you know, six weeks in the summer, and you'd be surprised that they don't know Constitution, they don't know how a bill is passed, they don't know voting, they don't know you know, elections. They don't know these very simple, basic things. And you're getting ready to send your 18 year out there and you tell them to vote. And they're like, why? Or my vote doesn't count. Or who am I to vote for? I don't even know. What what does a mayor do? I don't even know. I, I see, you know, the name, but I don't know. Um, so I'm not really sure when they took it out, but I, I, I can tell you that it is very much needed. And um, our our students don't know a whole lot about civics at all, so, government. And I remember even when we were in school, I think we did one year of government. When I was in school, I think it was one year. I think we did two semesters um, of government. And that was it, really. Um, so you really don't learn these things until you're out in the real world, until you, you, know, you start voting and people start pushing you to learn these things. But at, at that point... I don't say it's too late, but, you know, we need to make sure that we cultivate their interests in even running for office. You know, it's good to have young people with good ideas, with different ideas, those that aren't tainted, right, <laughs> and tainted in, in the political world. Um, we need them to be our leaders because politics are tainted. And, and so, and I'm a conspiracy theorist, so I'll just put that out there. Is that only for the poor kids? Because it's bigger than black and white folks. I always tell you that. Is it only the poor kids not getting that? Because I, I could because, and I say that because families with influence already are meeting with their senator. They're taking those, you know, play, field trips. And uh, again, I, we, I'm a political science major. So I'm like, how do you not learn? That's my first degree, at least. How do you not learn politics and how this thing works when back in the 60s, 70s, they were showing cartoons and things? So is it just a, a, a class thing, do you think? Or I, I, give think, us I think it is a class thing. Um, and I, I wouldn't say completely, right? Because, mm -hmm. again, you may have some um, families that are higher class. They don't really... I don't say care about politics a lot. I mean, this new generation, their priorities are a little different, right? They're 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 they are more open to things. They they don't like to be confined to one idea, one space. So sometimes to them, oh, you know, independent, Republican, Democrat, they like we don't care about that. We care about issues, right? I think our our generation, our young generation, they're driven by issues. So I think that a lot of um our higher class families, they do teach their children about certain issues. And then they cultivate those, the, their children in those particular issues that they care about. And you're absolutely right. You know, I tell people that, you know, we just didn't all of a sudden choose a president. You know, they were slating 
who's going to be president. Like it's 2022 right now, but best believe 2042, they already know who's going to be president way ahead of time. You know, they've already slated these things. Meanwhile, we're still trying to figure out, you know, local stuff. We still trying to figure out the importance of voting for your commissioners and your mayors and your Senate. You know, we're, we're still, we're behind the eight ball, but I think that, um, you know, like I said, in terms of higher class, um, they do. They teach their children way ahead of, you know, what, what we do in ours, because I think the focus, our focus a lot of times when you talk about class is survival, which is something that the high, higher class families don't have to worry about, right? Um, you know, our parents, they're not focused on really caring about who's running, who's this. They're at work. They're trying to make a living for their children. You know, they're trying to survive. Whereas higher class, they have time to think about those issues and sit and talk to their constituents about this and the third because money is not an issue for them. They're not trying to survive. So I think there is a disparity in that regard because I think our priorities are different. Our priorities are different. And and not to say that it's, um, and that I don't understand because you have to survive, you have to be able to, you know, um, provide for your children, your family. It's just one of those things that it is. It is what it is. So really, the the real the real talk of, of the game is how do we get our economy to change? Because once our economy changes, I think our you know our black economics once that change, then we have an opportunity to talk about politics at that time. Well, our minds have to change. Your focus has to change. You know what? You won't die if the TV stays off. Um, it can stay off. And I want, whether you are watching this, for those few who watch on YouTube, pick up the numbers. But this is a top 2% podcast, says listennotes.com. And so if you're listening on iHeartRadio, iTunes, or Spotify, or any of the other platforms, I want you to, you know, rewind this game, get this game, and make sure you share it with someone because it'll change their life. Please tell the people. Again, your your radio show and segment so they can catch some more game. A great storyteller always has to have them wanting more where they can catch more online or on their phone or, you know, if they are in the area to catch it and also where they could connect with you. So when you write your book, they can be first in line for that. Yes, of course. So I am on 106.3 FM Daytona uh, with Bishop Derek Triplett. It's actually his show. He just was gracious to put me on on every Friday at 7.45 a.m. Eastern. So you can catch me there. Um, and my, my segment is talk about it. So I talk about various issues in the community. It could be, it's a Christian station. It could be Christian. It could be non-Christian. Whatever issue I kind of come up with for that week is what we talk about. Um, you can find me for my law firm at lcrlegal.com. All my contact information is there. My background information any that you you know need to get in contact with me is at lcrlegal.com. And then for my nonprofit, that is the lcrproject.com, T-H-E-L-C-R-Project.org. The lcrproject.org is where you'll find me for um, a nonprofit. Kalancharisma.com is where you'll find me online for the beauty supply store. We're not selling online right now. We have a brick and mortar is what we're focusing on at this time. And we are located at 927 South Goldwyn Avenue, Suite 109 in Orlando, Florida. So if you're ever in the area, 
please come by and patronize our store. We would love to see you there. And um, yeah, that's pretty much how you'll catch me. Um, you might catch me at my church because I want to give a shout out to my church, the Experience Christian Center in Orlando, Florida. If you're ever in, in, in town, come worship with me there. You'll catch me there all the time. But um, yeah, that's how you find me. You guys have been blessed by the game. She also told you about tithing for even if you don't understand fully because you haven't seen the, the, the miracles of giving. Um, there is also a business element for all you so-called high value men who think you're making some money because you hit six figures. Um, you're not living until you're giving and that can help you in your taxes as well if you are making enough money. Um, especially. So that's how you know if you're high value, you are giving to your community. Get the game, y'all. Share the game. Make sure you stay blessed. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit diversifiedgame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.